Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles, Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends of the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, where if you mouse the link top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading and the lesson for the day sent to you from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 10.50 a.m. Eastern. And today we begin a new chapter, chapter 29, The Awakening. We will be reading section one, the introduction, and section two, the closing of the gap. We're also mindful of our lesson today, lesson 305. There is a peace Christ bestows on, on us. And by way of announcement, uh, Fran will be absent with, from us this morning um, in voice, but I'm sure not in thought. So if anyone would like to volunteer to lead our reflection at the top of the hour, that would be most appreciated. And by way of opening this morning, I was directed straight to uh, the Course in Miracles uh, sixth volume, known as the Song of Prayer, which I would dearly love to share this morning. It begins like this. Prayer is the greatest gift with which God blessed his Son at his creation. It was then what it is to become the single voice creator and creation share, the song the Son sings to the Father who returns the thanks it offers him unto the Son. Endless the harmony, and endless too the joyous concord of the love they give forever to each other. And in this, creation is extended. God gives thanks to his extension in his Son and his son gives thanks for his creation in the song of his creating in his father's name. The love they share is what all prayer will be throughout eternity when time is done for such it was before time seemed to be. True prayer must avoid the pitfall of asking to entreat. Ask rather to receive what is already given to accept what is already there. There is a peace Christ bestows on us. Amen. Amen. Good choice as usual. Amen. Yes, thank you, Lord. My my great privilege, believe you me. Okay, my friends, here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Harrison, Jessica, and Micah. We're joined in listening this morning by Ida and Roz and Chris. Who else has joined us that would like to say good morning and be on the reading list? Jude's joined you, Laura. I'll be listening. Good morning, Jude. Good morning. It's Robin Marie. I'm late this morning, so I'll be listening. Hi. Good Good morning, Robin Marie. Glad you're here. Thanks. We're happy to read to you. 
Alrighty then. So we begin a new chapter. How exciting. Chapter 29, The Awakening. Section 1, Introduction. There is no time, no place, no state where God is absent. There is nothing to be feared. There is no way in which a gap could be conceived of in the wholeness that is his. The compromise the least and littlest gap would represent in his eternal love is quite impossible. For it would mean his love could harbor just a hint of hate. His gentleness turns sometimes to attack and his eternal patience sometimes fail. All this do you believe when you perceive a gap between your brother and yourself. How could you trust capital him then? For capital he must be deceptive in his love. Be wary then. Let him not come too close and leave a gap between you and his love through which you can escape if there be need for you to flee. Uh, Lemoyne. Chapter 29, The Awakening. Section 1, Introduction. There is no time, no place, no state where God is absent. There is nothing to be feared. There is no way in which a gap could be conceived of in the wholeness that is His. The compromise, the least and littlest gap, would represent His eternal love is quite impossible. For it would mean His love could harbor just a hint of hate. His gentleness turns sometimes to attack, and his eternal patience sometimes fails. All this you do believe, all this do you believe when you perceive a gap between your brother and yourself. How could you trust him then? For he must be deceptive in his love. Be wary then, let him not come too close and leave a gap between you and his love through which you can escape if there be need for you to flee. Here is the fear of God most plainly seen. For love is treacherous to those who fear, since fear and hate can never be apart. No one who hates but is afraid of love and therefore must be afraid of God. Certain it is, he knows not what love means. He fears to love and loves to hate, and so thinks that love is fearful, hate is love. This is the consequence the little gap must bring to those who cherish it and think that it is their salvation and their hope. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Harrison. Here is the fear of God most plainly seen. For love is treacherous to those who fear. 
sent fear and hate can never be apart. No one who hates but is afraid of love and therefore must be afraid of God. Certain it is he knows not what love means. He fears to love and loves hate. And so he thinks that love is fearful. Hate is love. This is the consequence the little death must bring to those who cherish it and think that it is their salvation and their hope. Three, the fear of God. The greatest obstacle that peace must flow across has not yet gone. The rest are past, but this one still remains to block your path and make the way to light seem dark and fearful, perilous and bleak. You have decided that your brother is your enemy, sometimes a friend, perhaps, provided that your separate interests make your friendship possible a little while but not without a gap between you, lest he turn again into an enemy. Let him come close to you, and you jumped back. As you approached, he instantly withdrew. A cautious friendship, limited in scope and carefully restricted in amount, became the treaty you had made with him. You shared a qualified entente in which a, a clause of separation was a point on which you both agreed to keep intact. And violating this was thought to be a breach of treaty not to be allowed. Thank you, Harrison. And Jessica, if you'd like to do that third paragraph and roll right into four, please. Hello? Oh, okay. We're all set. Did you hear that music too? Uh, yes. Yes, pardon okay. the interruption. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, it was my introductory drum roll. Um, paragraph three, the fear of God, the greatest obstacle that peace must flow across, has not yet gone. The rest are past, but this one still remains to block your path and make the way to light seem dark and fearful, perilous and bleak. You had decided that your brother is your enemy, sometimes a friend perhaps, provided that your separate interests made your friendship possible a little while. But not without a gap between you, 
lest he turn again into an enemy. Let him come close to you and you jumped back. As you approached, he instantly withdrew. A cautious friendship, limited in scope and carefully restricted in amount, became the treaty you had made with him. You shared a qualified entente in which a clause of separation was a point on which you both agreed to keep intact. And violating this was thought to be a breach of treaty not to be allowed. And then we go into, in Chapter 29, The Awakening, Part 2, The Closing of the Gap, Paragraph 4. The gap between you is not one of space between two separate bodies. This but seems to be dividing off your separate minds. It is the symbol of a promise made to meet when you prefer to meet when you prefer and separate until you both elect to meet again. And then your bodies seem to get in touch and signify a meeting place to join. But always is it possible to go your separate way. Conditional upon the right quote unquote right to separate, will you agree to meet from time to time and keep apart in intervals of separation, which protect you from the, quote, sacrifice of love? The body saves you, for it gets away from the total sacrifice and gives you time in which to build again your separate self, which you believe diminish as you meet. Thank you, Jessica. And Micah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, section 2, The Closing of the Gap, in Chapter 29. Uh, paragraph 4, The gap between you is not one of space between two separate bodies. This but seems to be dividing off your separate minds. It is the symbol of a promise made to meet when you prefer and separate until you both elect to meet again. And then your bodies seem to get in touch and signify a meeting place to join. But always is it possible to go your separate ways. Conditional upon the quote-unquote right to separate, will you agree to meet from time to time and keep apart in intervals of separation which protect you from the quote-unquote sacrifice of love? The body saves you for it gets away for it gets away from total sacrifice and gives you time in which to build again your separate selves which you believe diminish as you meet. Paragraph 5. The body could not separate your minds unless you wanted it to be a cause of separation and of distance seen between you. Thus, Thus do you endow it with a power that lies not within itself, 
and herein lies its power over you. For now you think that it determines when you meet and limits your ability to make communion with each other's mind. And now it tells you where to go and how to go there, what is feasible for you to undertake and what you cannot do. It dictates what its health can tolerate and what will tire it and make it sick. And its quote-unquote inherent weaknesses set up the limitations on what you would do and keep your purpose limited and weak. Thank you, Micah. And would we have a new reader for 5 and 6? Paragraph 5 and 6 in Chapter 29. Good morning. It's Karen. I can do it. Thank you, Karen. Five. The body could not separate your mind unless you wanted it to be a cause of separation and of distance seen between you. Thus, do you endow it with a power that lies not within itself, and herein lies its power over you. For now you think that it determines when you meet and limits your ability to make communion with each other's minds. And now it tells you where to go and how to go there, what is feasible for you to undertake and what you cannot do. It dictates what its health can tolerate and what will tire it and make it sick. And its quote-unquote inherent weaknesses set up the limitations on what you do, on what you would do and keep your purpose limited and weak. Six, the body will accommodate to this if you would have it so. It will allow but limited indulgences in, quote, love with intervals of hatred in between. And it will take command of when to, quote, unquote, love and when to shrink more safely into fear. It will be sick because you do not know what loving means, and so you must misuse each circumstance and everyone you meet and see in them a purpose, not your own. And so you must misuse each circumstance and everyone you meet and see in them a purpose, not your own. Thank you, Karen. And is there another narrator for paragraphs 6 and 7? I could read it, Chris. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. The body will accommodate to this if you would have it so. It will will allow but limited indulgence in quote-unquote love with intervals of hatred in between. And it will take command of when to quote-unquote love and when to shrink more safely into fear. It will be sick because you do not know what loving means. And so you must misuse each circumstance and everyone you meet and see in them a purpose not your own. 
It is not love that asks a sacrifice, but fear demands the sacrifice of love, for in love's presence fear cannot abide. For hate to be maintained, love must be fear, and only sometimes present, sometimes gone. This is love seen as treacherous because it seems to come and go uncertainly and offer no stability to you. You do not see how limited and weak is your allegiance and how frequently you have demanded that love go away and leave you quietly alone in peace. Thank you, Chris. And is there another narrator for seven and eight? Okay, back to you, Lemoyne. It is not love that asks the sacrifice, but fear demands the sacrifice of love. For in love's presence, fear cannot abide. For hate to be maintained, love must be feared, and only sometimes present, sometimes gone. Thus is love seen as treacherous, because it seems to come and go uncertainly, and offer no stability to you. You do not see how limited and weak is your allegiance, and how frequently you have demanded that love go away and leave you quietly alone in peace. The body, innocent of any goal, is your excuse for variable goals you hold and force the body to maintain. You do not fear its weakness, but its lack of strength or weakness. Would you recognize that nothing stands between you? Would you know there is no gap behind which you can hide? There is a shock that comes to those who learn their Savior is their enemy no more. There is a wariness that is aroused by learning that the body is not real. And there are overtones and... Excuse me. And there are overtones of seeming fear around the happy message, God is love. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Harrison. Eight, the body, innocent of any goal, is your excuse for variable goals you hold and force the body to maintain. You do not fear its weakness, but its lack of strength or weakness. Would you recognize that nothing stands between you? Would you know there is no gap behind which you can hide? There is a shock that comes to those who learn that Savior is their enemy no more. There is a weariness that is aroused by the learning 
that the body is not real. And there are overtones of seeming fear around the happy message, quote, God is love, unquote. Nine, yet all that happens when the gap is gone is peace eternal. Nothing more than that and nothing less. Without the fear of God, what could induce you to abandon him? What toys or trinkets in the gap could serve to hold you back an instant from his love? Read that again. What toys or trinkets in the gap could serve to hold you back an instant from his love? Would you allow the body to say, quote, unquote, no, to heaven's calling? Were you not afraid to find a loss of self in finding God? Yet can yourself, capital S, be lost by being found? Thank you, Harrison. And Jessica. <clears throat> Thank you, Lori. Nine. Yet all that happens when the gap is gone is peace eternal. Nothing more than that and nothing less. Without the fear of God, what disband in him? What toys or trinkets in the gap could serve to hold you back an instant from his love? Would you allow the body to say, quote, no, to heaven's calling? Were you not afraid to find a loss of self in finding God? Yet can your true self be lost by being found? Oh, amen. Thank you, Jessica, and thank you, everyone, who read this morning. What great news, the awakening. And I'm really happy to touch on some of the highlights that I found in here. From that first paragraph, there is no time, no place, no state where God is absent. There is nothing to be feared. There is no way in which a gap could be conceived of in the wholeness that is his. From that second paragraph, love is treacherous to those who fear, since fear and hate can never be apart. No one who hates but is afraid of love, and therefore must he be afraid of God. He fears to love and loves to hate, and so he thinks that love is fearful and hate is love. This is the consequence of the little gap. Paragraph 3, the fear of God, the greatest obstacle that peace must flow across, has not yet gone. You had decided that your brother is your enemy, sometimes a friend, perhaps, provided that your separate interests make your friendship possible a little while. You shared a qualified and 
in which the cause of separation was a point on which you both agreed to keep intact. And in the closing of the gap, paragraph four, the gap between you is not one of space between two separate bodies. This but seems to be dividing off your separate minds. It is the symbol of a promise made to meet when you prefer and separate until you both like to meet again. The body saves you in your belief from the sacrifice of love for it gets away from total sacrifice and gives you time in which to build again your separate selves which you believe diminish as you meet. In paragraph 5, the body could not separate your minds unless you wanted it to be a cause of separation and of distance between you and limit your ability to make communion with each other's mind. In paragraph 7, it is not love that asks the sacrifice, but fear demands the sacrifice of love, for in love's presence, fear cannot abide. Thus is love seen as treacherous because it seems to come and go uncertainly and offer no stability to you. You do not see how limited and weak is your allegiance and how frequently you have demanded that love go away and leave you quietly in peace. In paragraph 8, your body, innocent of any goal, is your excuse for variable goals you hold and force the body to maintain. Would you know there is no gap behind which you can hide? And finally, in paragraph 9, all that happens when the gap is gone is peace eternal. Nothing more than that and nothing less. Without the fear of God, what could induce you to abandon him. Would you allow the body to say no to heaven's calling? Were you not afraid to find a loss of self in finding God? Yet can you, yet can your true self be lost by being found? Oh, how beautiful. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. And let me look at the time here because we don't want to miss our opportunity at the top of the hour. But we have about 10 minutes before then, so the floor is open. Yeah, thank you, Lori, for that summary. And I appreciate the sections you picked out to read. Um, it's Chris, by the way. And I apologize for the pressing the hold button. I bet you you heard a background song and you muted that. Thank you. And I need to be more vigilant as I am with my mind to pressing that button. Oh, no worries, son. Uh, um, so certain statements that came out at me when was read on the intro, it says, all this do you believe when you perceive a gap between your brother and yourself? And to me, that gap is the obstacle that prevents joining that happens of mind through lack of forgiveness. So 
I have the ability to remove that gap between myself and my brother through forgiveness. On paragraph three, it says, you had decided that your brother is your enemy. And why is that? Because he, he or she triggers that that I see in him within me. I could see him as a brother showing me that instead of an enemy that I need to defend against, stay away from. And here I go with triggers buried within me that anyone could bring that up again within me. But I believe that keeps me safe from the enemy. Paragraph three again, the fear of God, the greatest obstacle that peace must flow across has not yet gone. That to me was the greatest obstacle to experiencing more the peace that I'm experiencing now. I don't know if there's remnants of that. And, and why? Because the belief that I once had of a judgmental God, that if I wasn't quote-unquote good, that I would be punished. A vengeful, wrathful God. So that had to be looked at, forgiven, released, and ask the Holy Spirit, what's a more loving way of looking at God? Uh, what's a more loving way of looking at love? <laughs> wow. Um, it says, the body saves you. The body could not separate your minds unless you wanted it to be the cause of separation and of distance seen between you. As I was with a loved one, I felt very physically separated from that loved one that I was living with. And I decided to get a physical separation from in living in a separate home. Yet, as I did observe that, I knew there were grievances body thoughts that needed to be healed in my mind because that is the obstacle from seeing that loved one in a loving way which brought me peace and and staying away from that loved one whether as I lived with that loved one or in the new physical separation will not do that period. Yet, as I am here, any body thoughts about that loved one, it's my responsibility. I'm responsible for what arises within me and what I see. And it's my responsibility to choose peace, to choose forgiveness, and heal and um, foster a holy relationship between me and God and between God and her and me. An unholy relationship would be 
holding on to grievances. Thus, I, I create a gap between me and God, not just me and her. So, before knowing all this, I used to want to stay away from brothers and sisters that brought unhealed fear within me and make the sacrifice to love them, but with those grievances still rooted within me, and continue those grievances that hide in the mind because of unforgiveness within me. Yes, I didn't know before forgiveness that that was an option, so I kept on staying away. These people are very negative, etc., etc., etc. Uh, thank you. I'm complete. That was really great, Chris. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. A lot to think about. This is Ida. Hi. Um, sure. I, I know that this section applies to me in terms of the gap. Um, between me and quote-unquote others. Um, sometimes it seemed like they were making the gap, and sometimes I know it was me, but I guess it doesn't really matter. We did it together as we do all things together, right, in the oneness. But very, I did it very subconsciously. You know, I didn't know I was doing it, um, I didn't really know so much that I was doing it until I started to study this course. Uh, so it's a good thing for me, for sure. I'm complete. Thanks. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Hi, it's Karen. I used to be a meditator. I mean, hardcore, like hours and hours every single day. And then I studied body work, and I got triggered doing body work as a practitioner. Um, unhealed things, sexual abuse, and so on came up. And I had no context for that feeling of being one with people. If I thought on them, I felt them. If I, uh, I felt like if I spent time with someone, then we were joined for hours and hours after our physical bodies used to split apart. And it made me insane. It made me insane because I had absolutely no context to unravel it. And people used to say, you're too sensitive and use words like you merge with everybody and then I felt guilty because I thought I was doing something wrong, you know, merging with people. I had no context to explain that experience of joining mind. And it was definitely something that occurred um, when our bodies were separate. 
I used to think I was being psychically raped because I would be so one with people after I would be with people. So then I started isolating my body from other bodies because I didn't know how to protect myself. I mean, talk about the ego and fear, the ego making up stories, the ego explaining things instead of the Holy Spirit's interpretation. But, you know, psychology and going to doctors, psychiatrists and so on, they had no explanation for me. Many healers had no explanation. They just kept saying, breathe out the other person, breathe light. But here it is, right here in the Course in Miracles, it's absolutely, completely clear. It says that the the body gives you uh, space to build again your separate selves. Even though you couldn't separate your minds, the body could not separate separate your minds unless you wanted it to be the cause of separation and of distance being between you. You endow it with a power to determine um, your ability to make communion with each other's minds. It tells you what you cannot do. And the body just accommodates us. And in the ego mind, there's fear. And the fear wants to keep us safe from love, constantly keeping us safe from love. I just had one question, and I know we're going to the lesson now, but um, the gap is fear, right? The gap is the fear of God and fear. Question mark. I'm complete. Thank you, Karen, and thank you for your beautiful share. And um, I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, here that the point being made is that there is no gap, only my belief that there's a space behind which I would hide from God. Um, but it doesn't exist any more than separation exists. And when I accept that there is no gap, I understand that there was only ever an illusion of separation. That holiness is the nature of creation because it's all contained in the mind of God. And never ever was anything but his own manifestation of himself everywhere. Um, Because love is the only thing that exists, um, <laughs> love has no opposite. Fear would seem to be an opposite to love, um, but is in fact um, an invention of my own mind. And there might be lots of better ways to say that, but um, that's how it seems uh, to be to me today. So thanks for Laura, the question. You it's, I'm sorry. You nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. It was perfect. Your response was so perfect. Thank you. Oh, thank you, darling. Thank you, Lori. Yeah. I always heard false evidence appearing real. Excuse me. False evidence appearing real. <laughs> yes, there. there you go. Good one. Good one, Ida. 
Uh, so anyway, yeah, here we are at the top of the hour. And uh, Fran isn't able to be with us today uh, because of circumstances with um, her means of transportation. And so um, is there anyone who'd like to volunteer to lead our reflection this morning? Oh, this is Micah. I could do it if nobody else wants to. Thank you, Micah. Okay. So if I'm right, uh, we're on lesson um, 305. And it's uh, there is a peace that Christ bestows on us. And I'll start out with uh, what is, uh, touching on some highlights from what is the real world. And uh, it'll just be a few. And then hopefully over the days, all, all of the points will be touched on because there's some really good things in here. Uh, the real world cannot be perceived except through eyes, forgiveness, blessings. So they see a world where terror is impossible and witnesses to fear cannot be found. The real world shows a world seen differently through quiet eyes and with a mind at peace. Nothing but rest is there. There are no cries of pain and sorrow heard, for nothing here remains outside forgiveness, and the sights are gentle. Only happy sights and sounds can reach the mind that has forgiven itself. Uh, let's see here. Hold up. What is there? Uh, oh, there's an it, so I'm going to go up. Oh, goodness. Um, okay. The world it sees <laughs> rises from a mind at peace within itself. No danger lurks in anything it sees in this mind, for it is kind, and only kindness does it look upon. And then, uh, what's the bottom here? The Holy Spirit has no need of time when it has served his purpose. Now he waits, but, but that one instant more for God to take his final step, and time has disappeared taking perception with it as it goes, and leaving but the truth be itself. That instant is our goal, for it contains the memory of God. And as we look upon a world forgiven, it is he who calls to us and comes to take us home, reminding us of our identity, which our forgiveness has restored to us. And then we'll go to the lesson. Uh, lesson 305. There's a peace that Christ bestows on us. Who uses but Christ's vision finds a peace so deep and quiet, undisturbed and wholly changeless, that the world contains no counterpart Comparisons are still before this peace, and all the world departs in silence as this peace envelops it and gently carries it 
the truth. No more to be a home of fear. For love has come and healed the world by giving its Christ peace. Giving it Christ peace. Father, the peace of Christ is given us because it is your will that we be saved. Help us today but to accept your gift and judge it not. For it has come to us to save us from our judgment on ourselves. And we'll just take a moment to meditate on there's a peace that Christ bestows on us. There is a peace that Christ bestows on us. Who uses but Christ's vision finds a peace so deep and quiet, undisturbed and wholly changeless that the world contains no counterpart. Amen. 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 Thank you, Micah. You do good. Hmm. Thank you, Ida. That's very, very beautiful. Thank you, dear. Nicely done. Thank you, Micah. I did want to make a comment. Oh, you're welcome, Emily. On this section, it just feels so like we're being nurtured along so lovingly. You know, I'm going to a state of body identification in a dream of a world that, you know, I've created a, a small self over decades that, uh, you know, I, I'm, and that's so filled with misconceptions and judgments and, and uh, you know, so many things that need healing and correction and transformation. And, and, and here comes this amazing book and these words that kind of every day heals something and, and is guiding guiding me, guiding us gently into in, a return to self. And I just love how he ended this section. Let me turn the page here if I can. Um, oh, it won't turn. Right. It ends with, um, he would you allow the body to say no to heaven's calling? Were you not afraid to find loss of the small self in finding God? Yet can your true self be lost by being found? And this movement in, into our our true self, it begins in a very practical way in time, space, in our relationships of seeing our minds are joined. And thanks, Karen, for your um, beautiful description of of being one with your brothers and sisters. And um, and, and he's encouraging us into that movement, and um, and it's right where it needs to happen, you know, in our relationships. And to watch the, watch the uh, my awareness turn in the direction of a mind, 
that I'm sharing with my brothers and sisters and to watch that become more and more real and um, and gently overcoming the fear of losing a separate self and having confidence to move into this true self that's waiting to be found. And it, it, we, you know, and at moments through the day, we do find it, you know, through the grace of the Holy Spirit. Not like we're doing anything. And um, like the more we, I step aside, the the uh, the more powerful things get. Um, but anyway, there are just a couple highlights here that were stood out. Um, uh, let me see down here. Would would you know there is no gap behind which you can hide? I just thought of Karen right there. How raw that was to to be lifted so purely into oneness and not to understand. There is a shock that comes to those who learn their Savior is their enemy no more. There is a weariness that is aroused by learning that the body is not real. And there are overtones of seeming fear around the happy message, God is love. Isn't that amazing? And then um, up in five, the body could not separate your mind. Body could not separate your mind. And to realize that's going on right now. It's so practical because it, it it brings up a mirror right away of where where I want to pitch my tent, you know, on what side of the veil. And um, and then paragraph four, this but seems the gap between you is not one of space between two separate bodies. This but seems to be dividing off your separate minds. This but seems to be dividing off your separate mind. And, and just this realm of, of a mind that is joined is just such a sweet invitation. Anyway, I'm done. Thanks. Thank you, Micah. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Micah. Thank you. Good morning. Beautiful. Thank um, you, Micah. So I just also wanted to add a few thoughts. Um, what is the second coming of Christ? In the footnote from the other book, not the book that we read, but um, the one that has footnotes, the annotated version, it says that the second coming of Christ is the collective awakening of Christ consciousness. And um, it also quoted something from the text to support that, but I don't remember what that was, and I don't have the book in front of me at the moment. But I loved it so much, the collective awakening. And then when I had read earlier this morning the introduction and the the second section of this chapter, chapter 29, the awakening, the awakening to the Christ consciousness. It just made that that connection stronger. What is the second coming? It's it's us more deeply understanding that we are joined, that we are one in that collective awake, Christ consciousness, the awakening in the collective. 
sense. Um, I, I had the thought earlier about the, um, the state that I was in when I was, quote, unquote, merging. The problem was I was merging with the ego of everybody. I had no discrimination. Without the course, if we get into that place of being completely sensitive to, to the subtle body, to the other people's thought forms and feeling forms and, you know, without the discrimination to only want to be joined with the spiritual self, the higher self, the true self, not the falsehood, which, of course, in miracles teaches us is false empathy. And that's been a huge struggle for me lately because the people in my life, both my daughters, have so much drama going on in the false world. And to be supportive and loving, I go into their energy, but I keep getting buried alive by all the negative stuff. And, you know, instead of just holding to the truth and standing in the light and bringing them up, which is a real problem for me. It's been, but you know, it's a lesson. It's a learning experience. It's, you know, it's the the uh, time of learning how to use that discrimination and not slip into old habit energy of going into ego. But um, anyway, the second coming of Christ. In the second coming of Christ, there's a, a peace so deep that the stillness the world disappears in the stillness. That's my takeaway from today's lesson. In the second coming of Christ, in my Christ self, the Holy Christ is born in me today. In that place, I, I can um, rest in the stillness of Christ's peace and all the worlds will dissolve away and complete. Oh, that was so beautiful, Karen. Yes, it was. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. And I have, too, been called um, overly sensitive pretty much all my life, and I feel like I understand what you were talking about, Karen, because I've done that, too. Um, Although maybe not recently, um, and working with the flower and gemstone essences that I work with and stuff, and studying this course and, and finding my partner and working with him and loving him. I've had some major healings and feel like I don't do that so much anymore. I, I am an empath and I do feel other people's feelings, but I don't think there's anything weird about that or wrong about that. I think it's just where we all, you know, came from because we are one. And the Course says it took us millions of years to completely separate. That's how one we were and still are. It's just a virtual thing now instead of an actual um, physical um, phenomenon, you know. So, anyway, I do understand, and I have been healed of, I think, quite a bit of that, um, and where I feel what they're feeling, but I don't, like, take it on 
so much as my own feeling anymore if I used to for so many years um, and then have to deal with it that way. Um, I'm complete. Thanks. Thank you, Ida. That was great. Thank you, Ida. Thank you. It's really great. Even though we're separate and we feel separate and we're and at the same time we're one, it's I think it's really important to retain our sense of ourselves so we don't take on everybody's pain because it's overwhelming, you know. And at the same time, this idea of the second coming of Christ to me is an interesting concept because I think generally when we think of that, when people think of that, they think physically Christ is going to come back and he's going to save us. (laughs) But it's really interesting to think, yeah, it's up to us. We have to embody the teachings and the consciousness that Christ is giving to us and be that Christ and give our love to the world and to everyone we know. And it's a huge challenge. Despite all the stuff that we have to go through in this world, and we see all the war and the hate and the blah, blah, to be able to do that in our everyday lives with the people who are close to us and um, and everyone else that we see, that's, that's what our... Uh, mandate really is doing this work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I love that, Raj. Thank you. I just, <laughs> I just have a little share before I go to work, and that is, uh, I really related to what Karen was talking about of taking other people's emotions on when I was little. My dad was an alcoholic, and my mother used to come to me, even when I was five, and talk about it with me. And uh, and I realized that, you know, people think that if you can take on their emotions, somehow they'll disappear, but actually they get stronger. And I have been learning throughout my life to just be open, especially through this course, just be open to hearing and listening and stay your ground in Christ and stay there because then that person is going to have a healing and it's going to be not through writing on their misery. It's going to be them waking up. So anyway, thank you so much for all the shares. I'm complete. Thank you, Robin Marie. Thank you, Robin Marie. Have a good day. I'm so glad you could stay with us a while. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. I think it's a tricky thing to figure out how to be with someone who's hurting and not take on their feelings. It's like trying to meet them where they are, but at the same time keeping your own consciousness of 
oneness at the same time and of Christ consciousness. But still meeting them where they are. Um, I remember the story of uh, a man who was a catatonic patient. He was catatonic. He could not move. He could not speak. He was just frozen. And they called this particular therapist. His name was Gary Prouty. He was really amazing. And the guy was staying on a farm, the catatonic person. (laughs) And uh, so Gary spent hours and hours with this man and he just mirrored everything this guy did which wasn't very much he was just was pretty much staying where he was but he mirrored his breathing he mirrored uh, his eye movements and he just stayed with him and stayed with him and stayed with him until finally (laughs) the guy started screaming all priests are devils you know, it's like, I don't know what that was about, but he mirrored that too, you know. And after a while, the guy started to open up and talk. And then he started to walk around. And they were on this farm, and he was looking at the animals, and he was, you know, commenting on them. And he got healed because somebody met him in the place where he was. But the, the Gary did not lose his understanding of who he was, of his, you know, love and strength and oneness. And I, you know, it's a it's a paradox because it's so important to when we heal to do both to be able to do both. So anyway, that's all I got to say. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Raz. I got a lot out of that, what you just shared. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Raz. Thanks, Raz. This is Wendy. Um, I saw a documentary about a family with an autistic child, and it was pretty much the same idea. The parent, One of the parents quit their job and sat with this little boy and spun plates in a darkened bathroom, which was kind of one of his obsessive behaviors. And they just sat with him and met him right where he was with all his conditions. You know, there couldn't be light. It had to be closed in the bathroom, spinning these plates. And then the father went back to work and the mother went in and sat and spun plates. And eventually that child came out of his his um, personal cave and opened up to the world and started speaking and integrating. So somebody met him where he was. I'm complete. Beautiful, Wendy. Thank you. Thank you, Wendy. Love does that. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy. You know, it seems like the idea is if you see the mirror of yourself, but if you don't judge yourself and the, the person who is being the mirror of you is not judging you, they're loving you, then you can see what you're doing and you can see where you are. And then if you fully integrate where you are now, then you have the opportunity to just move on to the next stage of your development. That is so cool. I saw that 
that movie years ago with Robin Williams where he played that, you know, the real doctor that worked with people that were catatonic and he gave them that new, you know, experimental drug, L-Dopa. And for a while, the guy, the guy was completely healed and then, and then he went back into the catatonic state at some point. But I feel like this way that we've been talking about is it's more like a permanent healing um, because of what I said, how it seems to work, in, in my mind at least. Thanks, I'm complete. Thanks, Ida. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. That was a Hi, this movie. is Chris. Yeah, thank you, Ida. I I really appreciate watching that movie myself. But uh, um, yeah, I think that kind of catatonic state is symbolic of the state we're in without the Holy Spirit. That whatever we do to create peace within ourselves from outside of us is only temporary until we go within and call upon the Holy Spirit, does it become a permanent healing? Um, I love the topic of uh, empathy. I recently had a group discussion about being a quote-unquote empath. And I love the section in the text that talks about true empathy, where as soon as feelings are being shared, both within and without, to call upon the Holy Spirit to empathize with him and his strength and have him relate through us and and just 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 look at that and stay in the moment and and, and, and internally step gently back in in the space of the holy spirit and allow the healing of those feelings to subside and and just that's all I need to do. I need to do nothing in terms of doing something outside of me, uh, but allow that Holy Spirit within ourselves to show us Christ's vision or see it through perception or real vision or Christ's vision. It's all the same. Um, and that takes a certain level of awareness and a certain level of wanting. I, you know, so many times I knew what to do, I knew how to do it, but didn't want to do it. The wanting is so important, or the allowing. Um, yeah, I'm complete about that. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Chris. Thank, Thank you, Chris. Beautiful, Chris. Thank you. 
Thank you, Chris. Good, good morning, Harris, and appreciate all the shares. Um, boy, we've had such rich readings and sharings this morning. Uh, I'd like to start with the, the lesson. And the first line in the first paragraph, who uses but Christ vision, finds a peace so deep and quiet, undisturbable, and wholly changeless that the world contains no counterpart. So who wouldn't want that kind of peace? But the predicate, the in order to achieve that peace that Christ bestows on us, I have to use Christ's vision. And not just my natural vision and Christ's vision. Let's take natural vision. Natural in quotes. It's my body's vision. I have to use only Christ's vision if I want the peace that Christ bestows on me. And once I experience the peace of Christ, I realize it has no parallel in the world. There is nothing here regardless of whether it seems like peace or not, whether it seems like happiness or joy, nothing here is comparable. And what seems to happen in this world of dreams, no seeming pain or death, none of that affects this peace that he's talking about in this lesson, the peace that Christ bestows on us. Because my mind will be totally unaffected by anything in this world or that happens with the body. And he tells me in the prayers that the peace of Christ is given us because it is your will that we be saved. Help us today only to accept your gift and judge it not. The gift 
is Christ's vision. And to know I have Christ's vision, I have to relinquish my dependence on the vision that I have created, which is the bodily vision. I cannot judge whether or not I'm peaceful or not by what my body's eyes show me of what the body seems to be experiencing. I have to rely on Christ thinking. I have to rely on the voice for God to constantly remind me that the peace that Christ bestows upon me and as the Bible said, it's a peace that passes all understanding. Which means to me that whatever seems to be happening around me that doesn't look like peace, the war in Ukraine comes to mind. That doesn't look like peace. And yet, the peace that Christ bestows on us exists in spite of that appearance. Even in the midst of what seems like a terrible war, there is peace that passes all understanding. And the way I find that peace in the midst of war is to use only Christ's vision. And what is that? That's to recognize that what Today's reading starts out with, there is no time, no place, no state where God is absent. There is nothing to be feared. There is no way in which a gap to be conceived of in the wholeness that is his. The compromise, the least and littlest gap would represent in his eternal love is quite impossible. For it would mean his love could harbor just a hint of hate. His gentleness turns sometimes to attack and his eternal patience sometimes fell. All this you do believe when you perceive a gap between your brother and yourself.
I either love God or I fear God. There's no in-between. And if I love God, then I have to accept his vision. I have to accept Christ's vision, which sees nothing but love. Only love is real. And all the manifestations of love is the only thing that's real. Of course, there's only two things that can be happening. We're either expressing love or calling for love. That's it. And the only response is love. So it clears away all the distortions that I have introduced into my experience here. And I can rest in the peace of God. And I can realize that the gifts that God has given me passes all of my ordinary understanding. There is a peace that Christ bestows on us, all of us regardless of what seemed like our situation. Poverty, hate, war, whatever the case may be. In that, there is only peace. I think of people like Gandhi and even Martin Luther King who lived in a state where in spite of what seemed to be going on around them, there was only the peace of God in their experience. It was only the peace that Christ bestowed upon them. Mother Teresa, it's possible. And not only is it possible, it's God's will. Sorry for going on so long. I'm complete. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, brother. That was very it was just phenomenal. Yes, it was. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Harrison. For so the veil. Hmm.
like Jesus took that peace all the way to the cross. Yeah. And beyond. <laughs> sure did. Hi. Good morning, everybody. It's Jude. I, I'm still uh, glow with um, your your leading the 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 lesson today, Micah. Um, the word changelessness in the real world um, are are on on my billboard, the billboard of my mind, and seeing through the eyes of Christ is seeing through pure perception, seeing perfection itself in everything it sees, because it sees everything as itself. And the peace that that brings is is because it, it's not in opposition to any of it. It loves it. It merely loves what it perceives because it sees it as itself. It sees it as holy and it sees it as God. And it honors it and appreciates it in its freedom, allowing God to be God without judgment, without evaluation, without comparison. In the lesson, that, that line that um, in the vision of Christ that, um, what was the line? Something about comparison still exists here because it's still perception. And the difference between perception and knowledge is, is what we're coming to at the end of this book. The undoing of perception, as Harrison so beautifully put it, perceiving is through a perceiver, through the body's eyes, which makes everything an individual perception, which is, you know, any, any thought system that confuses God with the body is insane. And I don't know where that quote is, but for some reason that quote, that direct line sticks in my mind. From time to time these lines come up, and I'm like, okay, here, here this is. This is where perception needs to be done. Because what is this same beautiful, pure spirit, ideas, changeless, formless spirit that I've made invisible because I continue to want to see through the body's eyes. It's only in wanting to see through the eyes of Christ that my mind opens and my heart opens and lovingly embraces everything because it wants to see it that way. And only when I want only love will I see everything that way. And then perception is undone. And the recognition, the, the recog, the re-knowing, the remembering, something I've always known, always has, have known, always will know to be the truth, that God is everything, in everything, always everywhere, in every situation, every aspect, every degree, every distinction, that all those things were made when the separation happened. 
And that's how perception arose. So we're undoing all this so we can go back to our natural factory settings. The being at peace, the being in love, are our natural ways of being and require no effort whatsoever. All our strain and all our difficulty come from denying our true self. And I love the way you talked, Micah, too, about the fear of the loss of the separate self. And the Course says it's, it's the fear is merely a fear of losing illusions, of losing idols, anything that we would put before ourselves and make us afraid. Because why would the Son of God get down on his knees to anything when he is already everything? Having everything and being everything is what the kingdom of God is. And the only place where there's no conflict is in understanding that through the Trinity, that God the Father created me as everything and gave me everything when he gave me itself and the Holy Spirit's voice so that I couldn't forget it and the Holy Spirit being in everything as God is himself in everything. To call the love that calls for love to be itself. <laughs> and only in unity, only in that state of grace that's, that our reality is Spirit, we were created as spirit, and that our reality is, and spirit is in an eternal state of grace. And within a few sentences, it, it brings everything into one singular space where I can know that, that peace is within me, and that I need and cannot seek it outside of myself because it's nowhere outside of myself. It's all within me. I am the kingdom of God. It's unnecessary to say the kingdom of God is within me, because I am it. Amen. I love the Course, and I love you all, and thank you for being together in our journey home. Amen. Amen, sister. Thanks, Judy. I loved everybody. Amen. Thank you, Judy. Sorry. Oh, what a gorgeous call this morning. And uh, something unusual. Uh, happened this morning as I was meditating on today's lesson and today's reading. Um, I found myself with nowhere, nowhere for mind to land. Have you ever had that? You're meditating and, and mind is just so free. It has no place to land. And, and so I spent about two hours like that. And um, when I decided, indeed, it is true, there's no place here to land, um, then I was given what I needed. 
And so uh, very specifically today, uh, in light of everything that's been shared and, and the beauty of this lesson that ends with he has come to save us from our judgment on ourselves. Uh, I have three things to offer. First, I was told to look for this poem, uh, which is very beautiful and contains um, elements that everyone shared here this morning as we touch the one mind. It's a poem from Mary Beth Scalise, and it's called Grace, Not Guilt. But she, she said this poem is by Jesus through Mary Beth Scalise. It is the eternal in you that heals your affliction. Even the body responds to the mind that rests in eternality. Come closer yet to forever, which abides in you. For I have come to rest in your humanity and make the finite an everlasting kingdom. Thy kingdom come is now, here, in the opulent present of intensely rich silence. It is grace, not guilt, that brings us into his will. It is grace that restores the eternal light of Christ. It is grace that pulls you close and carries you across the line where darkness breaks. Here, faith empties your pockets with seeding fields of light, with hidden, inspired ideas. Here, grace waters the sprouts of intention, so fragile yet so strong, a power that does not push against opposition, but ever so quietly finds a crevice where light draws the soul up from the pot of darkness as love grows you. Who thought life would come for you like that? And when I think of that poem and today's reading and lesson, I'm reminded there are three lessons in the workbook that are absolutely unequivocal. There is no wiggle room because these three lessons represent fact. When my mind is aligned with fact, nothing I would have instead holds anything for me in my awareness. Those three lessons are there is no will but God's, there is no love but God's, and there is no peace but God's. <laughs> Yesterday I was doodling on my notebook as we were sharing and and I, I wrote down, there is no will but God's. There is no love but God's. And then in my doodle, I wrote a line under that. Will plus love equals peace. In that sense, I'm left with uh, the totality of the way he uses the word envelops. It was first in lesson 36, my holiness envelops 
everything I see. Isn't that the same as the first sentence in today's reading? There is no time, no place, no state where God is absent. There is nothing to be feared. There is no way in which a gap could be conceived of in the wholeness that is His. I made that gap out of fear. And when I accept that there is no will but God's, I realize that thing that's called ego never had a life except that what I gave it with my mind, I made it. I gave it my power. And it was this I could undo when I accept that there is no will but God's. That lesson ends with, it's, it's a beautiful beautiful lesson but it ends with if if you're doing this lesson right he says you'll um, you'll not feel drowsy at all you will feel alive <sighs> who thought life would come for you like this that separate will was of my own imagination there is no love but God's because all love is God's and yours and mine and everyone's if I thought there was something else then I I put myself behind my body's eyes and imagined a space where love could not be there's no love but God he says teach only love for that is what you are will I accept that and be glad because when I do, I'm restored to that eternal harmony that exists between the Father and the Son, singing that love song in eternity that I opened the call with this morning. There is no love but God's, and yours and mine and everyone. And isn't it phenomenal, <laughs> this lesson, this lesson, the peace of God is understanding this, there is no will but God's there is no love but God's and that's why I love this poem because it's grace that restores the eternal light of Christ that pulls you close and carries you across the line when I allow my mind to give up its distortions thank you Harrison its misperceptions its misunderstandings and accept correction the atonement for myself I've accepted it for all creation everything becomes a part of me and I a part of it and that is my true self this capitalist self and in all those years you know there was even a time about 11 years ago I woke up in a hospital bed with my wrists restrained <laughs> You know, and and that day when I woke up, my physician came in and said, "I love you." <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Take those off," he said. And I understood then I could not be separated from myself because there is no life apart from self. <laughs> How could I be separated from what I am? And if I think there's a gap between my brothers, I think there's a gap between me and God. 
and my own truth. How could I exist without my truth? I couldn't. That's why I love how this Course in Miracles begins. This Course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. Thank you for emphasizing that, Harrison. There's a natural state, and then there's all the frantic rushing about that ego mind does to make a reality it thinks it prefers. But I have a natural inheritance, and that's the peace of Christ that envelops everything. Because why? Because Christ is the relationship of creation to the Father. He's not a person. He's not a body. He doesn't sit somewhere separate from me. He's the awareness that we all share. And if I realize um, everything other than that is just a mistake, then I'm restored to the peace of Christ that envelops. You see that word? It envelops. In Lesson 36, my holiness envelops the peace of Christ bestows on us. It envelops everything because it is the truth. When I realize there is no will but God's and there is no love but God's, and I'm complete. Thank you, everyone. It was a beautiful, beautiful call this morning. And I'm very grateful that some days there is no place for my mind to land. And I get carried up. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so Thank much. You, Lauren. Very beautiful, Lori. Thank you. Mm. Could you repeat the name of the poem? Thank you so much. Yes, yes, and I'm pretty sure you can find it by Googling. It was in Miracles Magazine, the July and August 2020 version, edition. The poem is called Grace Not Guilt by Jesus through Mary Beth Scalise, S-C-A-L-I-C-E. Thank you. Thank you. I loved it very much. I was also told to close the call this morning here from the resolution of the dream in chapter 24. Where could your peace arise but from forgiveness? The Christ in you looks only on the truth and sees no condemnation that could need forgiveness. He is at peace because he sees no sin. Identify with him. Identify with him, and what has he that you have not? He is your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet. How gentle are the sights he sees, the sounds he hears. How beautiful his hands that holds his brothers. And how lovingly he walks beside him, showing him what can be seen and heard, and where he will see nothing, and there is no sound to hear. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Christ. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lori. God bless you. Thank you all. Have a good day.